I really had to think, okay, what is the most important activity or behavior that we want happening in the app? And, and it was just about posting and responding to posts, you know, comments and replies. I started there and, and kind of took out everything else. And I think the trade-off that I made was, you know, you can't build a perfect social network overnight. And in order for Silicon Sonder to create its own essence, you know, we have to think about what connections means or what following means. Like we're not trying to be another Twitter or another Facebook. We're trying to do something special and different. My name is Meha Agrawal, and I'm the founder and CEO of Silicon Sonder. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lampart, and today how Meha Agrawal built the analog and digital systems to enable self-care for the masses. All this and more on Code Story. Born and raised in Santa Barbara, Meha Agarwal grew up in a beach town. Her dad is a professor of computer science, and her mom worked at the university as well. The majority of her life, she was chasing gold stars, A-pluses on her assignments, targeting the doctor or the engineer job, which led her to attend USC and study computer science and business administration. She wound up in New York working for Goldman Sachs, and she quickly realized that she didn't like working on legacy systems. She left Goldman started working for the Muse, and began to fall in love with the idea of entrepreneurship. And then post that, she spent some time at Stitch Fix, and there she observed how data and technology could foster magical moments for consumers. She enjoys dancing, singing, and is a huge culinary and mixology enthusiast. She's always searching for the next speakeasy in town with her fiancé, and along with that she enjoys reading and writing, performing, and sketching. At the end of 2017, she realized that despite the gratifying elements of her life, she felt unfulfilled and anxious. She channeled techniques and structure into her her daily process of journaling. What she found was that her health improved, and she decided to create a product taking bits and pieces from bullet journaling techniques. This is the creation story of Silk and Sonder. Silk and Sonder is a self-care membership for modern women that makes daily and proactive mental wellness easy and fun from the comfort of her home. So what I mean by that is we really are a platform and community that unlocks productivity, creativity, and reflection through the power of pen to paper. So that's in the form of our analog product, which customers get every single month. It's a guided planner and journal. So it has a mix of prompts aligned with a particular theme, trackers, of all sorts of things, meal tracking, habit tracking, mood tracking, as well as your space to kind of plan. And that's really because positive psychology tells us that bringing pen to paper helps alleviate anxiety and stress, helps increase IQ and memory and heal trauma. And so that's kind of your blank canvas. And then you also get access to our online community for peer-to-peer support. And that is in the form of a mobile application. So you can get that on Android or your iPhone. And it has Sonder Club, 
Club, which is our social network. So all members of Silk and Sonder get access to Sonder Club, where people discuss how they're using their Silk and Sonder planners and journals, but also everything else, right? Going through chronic illness or ADHD or just navigating a new phase of your life or celebrating a win. That is what our uplifting community supports. And then you also get some fun games like self-care bingo and other things that help you live a healthier life offline as well as online. And then the third piece is we give customers the opportunity to engage with one another in a more intimate setting. And those are through what we call Saunders Circles, which are these guided journaling sessions that we host virtually as well as in real life of course, uh, taking part in some of our audio content. So we have things that are around manifestation and visualization and guided journaling in the form of audio programming. Back when I was a software engineer at Stitch Fix, so this is at the end of 2017, I had essentially created a facade for myself, right? I was in a new city. I was dating a new guy. I was working for a company on the verge of going public. And I was still waking up every day feeling anxiety. I was feeling stressed. I was feeling underfulfilled. And I couldn't point my finger at it, right? Because being a software engineer at Stitch Fix was immensely gratifying in many ways. But I think I was living in somebody else's story. I had created these safety nets for myself, but I I felt like I could be doing more and leaving my dent in the world. And I looked into therapy, that felt intimidating to navigate. I looked at coaching, that felt very expensive. I tried the meditation apps, it did not calm me down and had the opposite effect. I really had no choice but to channel what I was reading from self-help books and personal development pieces and positive psychology research. I had to channel all of that into some kind of analog experience for myself. And so I picked up an empty journal, which I had usually tossed away because never knew what what Dear Diary was all about. But what I started to do was I started to create some structure, right? Waking up, thinking about what I was grateful for, writing it down, thinking about what was making me anxious, writing it down. And I noticed this magical shift to my emotional health. Decided, hey, why not create a product that was already somewhat structured, but at least you know, loose enough that you could create your own, make it your own. And that's really the the first version of our analog solution was taking bits and pieces from bullet journal techniques, realizing that not everybody can build this from scratch and providing that kind of guided framework to, to marry reflection and introspection with action and focus. What was missing in, from, for a person like me was this form of active meditation, feeling like you're bringing pen to paper, you're actually executing on your dreams, you have the space to introspect, but then you're like ready to put that into full gear. And that's really what led to the creation. And I had one goal for myself, especially being an engineer, having tinkered with side projects and things not ever taking off. I told myself, I'm going to give myself two weeks going to figure out a prototype for this. I'm going to see if someone's going to be willing to pay a dollar or more, right? Like make my first sale. Otherwise, I'm squashing this project altogether. After we we launched, uh, we had several customers and then they told their friends and they told their friends and then so on and so forth. And before you knew it, we had customers all across the country. And I think that is really when I started to to notice that we're building something much, much bigger. Well, you touched on this a little bit, but I'm going to dive into it a bit more. And and it'll be interesting to see where you take it analog or digital. But tell me about the MVP. Tell me about how long it took you to build and what sort of tools you use to bring it to life. There have been multiple phases, and I would say that we're still always launching MVPs of features. 
This is what a lot of founders might miss. It's that anytime you expand your business and you're adding a new feature or, or another layer, you should test it before you invest all your resources and, and add every bell and whistle. And so I'll tell you a couple different examples. So our first MVP of the actual planner journal physical product was literally looking on Yelp, seeing what the print, what printing presses were available and essentially asking them, how much is this going to cost? We want to print this. I had a friend help me design it. And basically just that was the MVP in two weeks, figured out what, what pages I wanted to put in, had it printed, uh, and then took it around, got user feedback and then iterated and then put it up on a website. The funny thing is at the time it felt easier to code on Ruby on Rails, integrate with Stripe with the Stripe subscription <laughs> offering, then navigate Shopify and Recharge and all the other <laughs> ready-made uh, solutions. And I think I think you have to decide what MVP means for you, right? For me, I felt very stifled with all the templates and I didn't know how to navigate any of that code. And I, I figured it'd be easier to just do it from scratch, but then we had to iterate, right? Once we hit a certain volume, we were just using different fulfillment platforms and whatnot. And so ultimately Shopify ended up being the right decision. And then the second MVP, which I think is a very important one, and it kind of shapes the reason we decided to go for um, to, to become a VC-backed business is uh, the community angle. So when I started Silk and Sonder, I knew that I wanted to build a much, much bigger vision around emotional health and connecting people with others because I found that I was sharing my experience with my friends, they were sharing things with me, and then you want you want to get it personalized over time, right? When you become a new mom, it's very different than when you're just graduating college. How do you have the right structure and framework and who can you connect with to catalyze positive change in your life? And so uh, I... I just wired up a Facebook group and I decided, you know, this is one way I'll be able to collect feedback from customers for with us as a brand. Um, but it's also a way to test how do people engage with a digital product because these are analog users. And what was fascinating was that customers were seeing their journal as their space to unlock creativity and productivity, but they were using this digital forum to connect with each other and share and inspire. And the digital currency was all around empowering each other, right? When you feel stuck, helping helping one another out. And that really blew up. And that's what led to inform what is our next MVP, which is our mobile app. And that is really taking elements of the Facebook group and realizing we're restricted with what Facebook offers today. We want to build on top of this and we need to understand our customers and we need to figure out what connections mean within Silk and Saunders social network, et cetera. And so that MVP was a little bit, I would say more polished than probably our first iteration of the analog. And the reason for that is we already had a brand, right? We've worked really hard. People enjoy Silk and Saunders aesthetic. And so if we were to launch a janky app, to be honest, people would react poorly to that. And so that did take a bit of resources, but we we essentially had to figure out what is the minimum amount of features so that customers will get their you know familiar behavior from the Facebook group, but what's an extra bell or whistle that we can add so that people enjoy this even more than what they are used to. That's fascinating. I, I love it. Starting from an analog product and moving into, you know, more more digital space, but it's really backed by the process that you, you know, that you proved through, you know, your, your analog model and through essentially your unconstrained model. With any MVP, and you mentioned three, 
So it'll be interesting to, to see which one you choose or if you choose them all. But with any MVP, you have to make certain decisions and trade-offs about what you're going to make in the short term. And that includes, you know, I got to cut this feature or I've got to go through this process to choose these pages for the analog product. So tell me about some of those trade-offs you had to make and how you coped with them. Yeah, so I think, you know, in our case, one of the biggest features that we needed to get right in order to transfer people from the Facebook group into using our closed social network was what are the critical elements that would allow them to adopt our app quickly? And so that's hard, right? Because on Facebook, you already have the ranking algorithm of all the posts and then you have the following or the friend structure and then you have direct messaging and you have like everything under the sun of a regular social network and i i really had to think okay what is what is the most important activity or behavior that we want happening in the app and and it was just about posting and responding to posts you know comments and replies and so i started there and and kind of took out everything else and i think the trade off that i made was you know, you can't build a perfect social network overnight. And in order for Silk and Sonder to create its own essence, right? You know, we have to think about what connections means or what following means. Like we're not trying to be another Twitter or another Facebook. We're trying to do something special and different. And so I think the the way to justify that in your head, especially as a founder, right? It's, it's very easy to, to get lost in La La Land and want to design the perfect experience. I had to get comfortable with the fact that there's this is the, the the blank canvas that we get to rapidly iterate on and we only need a minimum set of features and we need it to look polished, but everything else can be built afterwards and will be built afterwards. And I think that is, that's a hard thing to do, but it is, it is what it is. Um, there were also some difficult decisions to be made around Android, introducing Android, right? I think... I underestimated the percentage of users that had Androids. And so we actually experienced somewhat of a backlash because people were kicking and screaming that they didn't get their Android app. And I was like, well, we don't want to introduce parity. But then you realize that your Android users are also very much engaged. And in order for them to get off of your Facebook group, you have to maybe do these things sooner than other companies. And so it's about not following other people's playbooks, but also thinking about what's right for your business and what's right for your community. uh, And how do you build things in a lean way? You know, our Android app probably isn't you know, abiding by all the Android guidelines the way we do for iOS, but it works and it's good enough to get people to, to use it. And that's most important. Did you build the the mobile experiences or did your team build the mobile experiences in a native way? Is it, what were you using for that? I had initially hired a contractor to do the React Native, like super scrappy version. And then we never launched it because it never looked quite right. We, we ended up going native um, and that was more because I was forward looking and I realized if we're building a big business, we have to make it feel native. But there's arguments for both. You kind of you kind of pick and choose based off of resourcing at that point, too. Well, from OK, so from those MVPs and, and maybe maybe these are different stories in between each MVP. So this again will be interesting. But how how did you progress the product uh, and mature it from the MVP stages in I think maybe will help the direct the the question a little more is how you built your roadmap and how you decided, okay, this is the next most important thing to build and create. 
you know, with the journals, it's not as easy as the app where you have limited data to work with, right? You have a lot of qualitative data. You can ask your users to take all these surveys. And, and in the early days, I did a bunch of user interviews to help inform what goes into the journal, what changes month over month, what do people want more of or less of, like that that was very much uh, directed by users and their feedback. And then we finally kind of got it to a place where the majority of our customers like it. And then anybody who feels that certain pages don't resonate for them, they repurpose those to be whatever they want them to be. So that's kind of how we handled the analog side of things um, because we just, we don't always have the, the luxury of seeing which pages people are using when because it's such a private activity. Um, for our mobile app, I think uh, obviously we look at the data uh, of of what features people are using and which ones are most popular. But I think I think the the concept that I really enjoy is coined by Rahul Vora from Superhuman, and it's thinking about how do we optimize for product market fit, both at like a feature level as well as like a company wide product offering level. And so, since the early days when we were mostly just a journal and a Facebook group. I ran those surveys to understand who are our best customers, those that would be very disappointed if Silk and Sonder were to discontinue. And that is, those are the profiles of the people that we go after. But then thinking about the improvements that we need to make, we look at those that are in the somewhat disappointed camp and we try to fill the gaps there with any additional features. And so I think it's a bit of a dance. I think if you just look at you know, your analytics on which features people are using on the mobile app and you're not thinking about how their entire customer journey is is taken into consideration, then you're missing, you're missing kind of that, that thoughtfulness, that, uh, that human insight that you can only get as an individual. And so I pair qualitative information using things like the product market fit survey. I do user interviews. I then look at the data. I then run polls. You know, we do a bunch of things, and that essentially informs ideas and kind of net new concepts. And then what I what I do with the roadmap is really think about okay, how do we stack rank these based off of effort and impact, and how do we tie this to our growth and retention goals? Because ultimately, we're building a business, right? This is not just a project. This has very specific goals. And so features need to really lead to the business goals, but they also need to be tied back to a customer objective. So every feature that we deploy, it has a user kind of problem that we're solving or, you know, kind of concept that we're filling. And then it also is tied to a business objective. How will this impact that? Um, And then we just would kind of use the regular dev cost versus impact and reach uh, to help prioritize. How transformational was the data capture and the analytics once you went to a digital solution for your business? How transformational was that? It, it's phenomenal, right? Like I think it's it's so exciting and energizing to see, wow, like this is the feature that they're using and no, oh, they haven't used this. Whereas with the analog side, we got some of that based off of people's posts, but we don't get all of it. And here you can capture all of it. I think the tricky part though, is when you've got an offline experience paired with an online experience, you have to contextualize it somehow. So it's gonna be interesting as we you know, continue forward to understand, you know, in any given day, how does Mary use her journal versus the digital? And like, you know, are there any patterns that we can deduce on on how that informs retention or referrals or anything like that? 
Tell me about how you built your team. And I'm interested in you know what you looked for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you. I care a lot about brand and company culture and you know having worked at Stitch Fix and having worked at The Muse, I think I was very lucky that I got to experience what awesome winning cultures look like and then I I'm a I'm a culture junkie so I'll like read about the Netflixes and the Amazons of the world to understand, you know, how do you build a company that is all about celebrating authenticity, you know, bringing a little bit of playfulness and silliness to the workplace, but ultimately also very results oriented and and performance based. And so I am uh, always looking for, you know, individuals who are bright, radically thoughtful, like can this person think above and beyond on how to deliver value to the customer, how to bring that essence to the team, you know, vetting for that. And then I would say results oriented and, and impact driven. I think ultimately, you know, we we want to hire folks that that are so drawn towards our mission that it fuels them to do more and be more. And so that's kind of what I look for in, in an individual. And I think at this stage of the company, it's very important to also vet self-motivated, right? Because I'm doing a million things. Most people are all going to be very busy and stretched. So how do you how do you motivate yourself and get things done and be self-reliant whenever you need while still being collaborative? So those are those are key ingredients that I was looking for. And then I would say um apart from that just thinking about, you know, how, do they fit into the company ethos of what we're building? Do they believe in our mission? And so I have a couple of folks that uh, used to work at Stitch Fix because I think there is some shared values of what we're building at Silk and Sonder and what I experienced at Stitch Fix. Um, we have uh, we have you know a bunch of folks who kind of have different backgrounds and experiences because when you bring that together and you kind of work as a team, it becomes really interesting on how you know you can extend beyond your role and responsibilities to help somebody else because you've experienced that. So I I kind of look for all of that. And I think as you get players into your team, you have to start thinking about, okay, what's missing? How do I find what's the missing puzzle piece? We've got A, B, C, D, E. Who can be, you know, the next person that would fill the gap for that next thing, not just from a role and responsibilities standpoint, but maybe they come from a company that we don't yet have any insight into and and could kind of work with Silk and Saunders culture as well. Well, I think I know the answer to this question from the very beginning. I want to ask it anyway, because I want to see the way you think about this in your company. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or are you finding this as you grow? You know, as Paul Graham always says, you know, build things that don't scale because that means people want want your product. So it really depends. Like I think there are co- there's constant opportunity for higher performance, higher efficiency, higher optimization of code. So we continue to make that trade off. But I think you want to apply a baseline level of thoughtfulness and excellence up front without being perfect so you can minimize the pivots along the way having been burned in the past, you know, like with trying to compile code and it breaking all the time and then having to debug, I actually didn't find joy in debugging. And so that lingering anxiety from from those days has forced me to apply a lot of thoughtfulness up front to try to get to 80% product market fit for all of our features and then 
and then go, right? And then you can tweak it as you go. So it's it's kind of a delicate dance, but I think I I don't think we're at a point where we're ready to scale everything efficiently, but we try to apply that lens on, you know, are we testing this in the right way, in a lean way, um, but also optimizing for success so that we don't have to be drowning later. As you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I would say I'm most proud of the community that we've created. And I think a lot of startups talk about community, but I truly feel building a company in the midst of a pandemic, providing a social network and a space where people with polarized views of the world through an election, you know, through so many macro changes uh, that were unexpected. And the fact that they could coexist alongside one another and support one another despite being very different, I mean, that's a true testament to what Silk and Saunders is all about. You know, how do we celebrate each other's personal growth journeys, even if you're different than me or what gives you joy is different than what gives me joy. And I think that to me is just what the world needs. And I feel really, really privilege to have uh, created that. And I really, (laughs) talking about scaling efficiently, I I hope that we can scale that as we continue to grow. And then I would also say I'm very proud of the team and, and how they have been able, I mean, I hired my entire team and raised my VC round in the middle of a pandemic. And so we've all been working remotely. And I I think the fact that we've been able to come this far, um, I sometimes forget to sit back and, and look and, and realize like, wow, that is, that's something that I did. You know, I found these people and I motivated these people and now look, they're, they're motivating themselves and each other. Like that is so, so rewarding. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. So when I think about the Android situation, I feel like it was kind of a mistake, right? Because there were some signals with the number of people who were signing up for the waitlist that had Android. It, you know, it was a it was a big enough base that we should have thought about it from from the start. And what ended up happening was we kind of we had to take this like huge celebration of launching an you know iOS app, and we had to almost downplay it because we had this existing community that felt a little hurt and neglected. And initially, I was. The software engineer in me is like, come on, really guys? Like, like we we can't be building two things at once until we know it works. But I do think looking back, I think if we had launched them, even if they weren't at, the, at full parity, I think if we had launched them at the same time, that celebratory moment could have been a lot more exciting for the team. It could have been, you know, less about hiding from our success because we didn't want people to feel left out. Um, and I think I think that that to me uh, was a signal of you gotta you gotta take your user research seriously, right? Like you can't just extract what you want to believe and then go 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 and like build the perfect thing for one group when another group was ready for it as well. And so I think I think uh, how we responded to it or how we continue to respond to it is we decided to 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 accelerate our Android um, efforts. You know, that was something we weren't planning to do and we decided to bring it to the forefront, focus on it, hire some folks to execute the previous roadmap and then had our kind of customer care and community operations team handle continuing the Facebook group while we built this and then unveiling the Android app as well. So I think it it just shows you that you have to be a little bit nimble and flexible and attentive to your audience because unlike other companies, 
we had an existing community that we're porting over. Some communities are built first on the iPhone and then expanded, and we didn't have that luxury, right? Ours was, we have customers all across the country and they use different platforms and that's sometimes a blessing. So take advantage of it. Well, what does the future look like for your product and for your team? As we continue to be a generation that is digitally bombarded, digitally exhausted, overstimulated by everything that's going on around us, I think ensuring that the products that we launch that are physical, digital, or experiential all tie back into does this create and cultivate more joy and clarity and connection and creativity for our users? And so that really means thinking about how do we personalize emotional health journeys from the day that you start at Silk and Sonder and evolve with us over time. You know, we can't always control what life brings your way, but how does Silk and Sonder become that go-to destination, whether you're proactively handling your self-care or you're reacting to a less ideal situation where you need self-care in your pocket or in your purse, you think of Silk and Sonder. Let's switch to you, Meha. Who influences the way that you work? CEO, CTO, architect, really any person. Name a person that you look up to and why. I think there's no one person. I think Neil deGrasse Tyson often says that you want to take elements of different people that you respect and, and tie it in. So I would say there's definitely like your your kind of obvious leaders like Katrina Lake of Stitch Fix. I just admire her so much. She was able to take, you know, a, a small company and and kind of go through the, the whole evolution with Stitch Fix. So I feel very personally connected to her, her vision and, and her execution. I would also say that I really love Sarah Blakely of Spanx. I think what I what I enjoy about her ethos is that she's all about being playful and silly and, you know, like blurring the lines of personal and work and the authenticity behind her. It's just, it's so admirable uh, because you don't always see that with other leaders. And then I would say I really admire, I would say my father and other folks that I'm closer to that are of high integrity. Like, I think, you know, he always tells me that the best leaders lead from the bottom. And, you know, that that is something that I definitely continue to take with me as, as we continue to hire on our team. Because I do think, you know, as a CEO, you're operating outside your comfort zone at many levels. Your ethics are always tested day to day. And I think if you can stay true to your values and continue forward, that's the type of leader that I want to be. And so I definitely look up to all leaders, CEOs included, but also just normal people in my life who embody that, those principles. Well, we talked about a mistake. You, know, you mentioned the Android release, but a little bit different spin and maybe a different topic. If, if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? I think one of one of the things I would do differently, and it's funny saying this out loud because um, this is probably advice I could use even right now, is don't let perfection keep you procrastinating. And what I mean by that is I think we could have made the leap into our mobile app sooner rather than later, right? Before our community was tens of thousands, I could have done this at a, at a much smaller scale and still achieved the same results. And I think... Sometimes when you don't know what's on the other side, you tend to stay in your comfort zone. Um, and I think what I would do differently is going back to the beginning, just accelerating that path and being willing to take more risks just because you have one part of the business that's 
working doesn't mean that you can't continue to experiment and evolve different parts of the business. And so I think that's something that I will probably give advice to myself today because there's just so many opportunities and sometimes you're scared to take the leap, but oftentimes it's a sign that you're on the verge of greatness. And so I think I would, I would continue to push myself on that. Well, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I mean, if they've already built the next best thing or next big thing, I would I would be asking them for advice. But uh, but I think kind of similar uh, similar to what I stated before, I think the advice that I would give is the only thing that can overcome fear is action, right? And I and I think that what that means is whether it's a baby step or a big step, just take a step because if you're if you're moving forward, you are making progress. And if the world needs what you're building, you've got to be willing to take the baby steps so that you can run and then you can fly and then you can really leave your impact on the world. Love that. It's great advice. Well, Mayha, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Silk and Sonder. Awesome. Thank you for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.